about a dozen years ago, I graduated from, from college. I went to James Madison University, the real University of Virginia. Just wanted to say JMU. JMU Dukes! I love saying that every time I'm driving on 81 and I, I bifurcate the university. So I went to JMU and when I graduated, a family friend uh, called me up and he said, Taylor, I have a graduation present for you. And I, I already knew that I was going to be going to seminary in a few months and all that. And I thought, oh, he's going to get me a Bible. You know how many people gave me Bibles when I graduated from college? As if I didn't already have like 50. Um, but anyway, he called and he said, I have a gift for you. And I said, well, what's the gift? And he said, I would like to pay for you to learn how to fly fish. I said, wow, what an incredible gift. That's not something I would have certainly picked on my own. And so he, he set me up with a, a, a fishing guide um, the next summer, so the first summer after uh, I was in seminary because I was working in Bryson City, North Carolina. It's in the, the far recesses of western North Carolina, an hour past Asheville in the Great Smoky Mountains. It's like perfect fly fishing country. And so one of the Saturdays that I was, that I was helping a church that summer, I went and met with this fishing guide, and he said, I'm going to teach you today everything you need to know in order to fly fish. And he, he dressed me up. I, brought, I got these waders. It's the first time I ever wore them. And he, he explained to me how they work. How you, you have to wear this because you have to wade into the water. You have to go to where the fish are. You can't expect them to come to you. And, and I said before, the, the bottom of the boots, they have felt because the river rocks can be very slippery if you're just walking barefoot or with your shoes. But felt can grip the, the slippery river rocks. And so, so we went out, and we were there all day. He taught me how to cast, you know, the 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, all that. He, he taught me how to tie a fly to the end of a line. He even showed me how to go look in the water to see if there are little bugs that have fallen from trees because that's what fishes go after. And so you try to find the exact kind of bug and, and look and see if you have one that looks like that. And you tie it on. You have to be so unnervingly patient. So, and he, he told, told me the great joke that a lot of people don't. There's a reason we call it fishing and not catching. Because you spend more time fishing than you do catching. But anyway, we went out and we were wading in that first river. And he helped me tie my fly. And we'd been practicing casting. And, and I cast it for the first time. And I, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. As soon as the fly landed on the water, I saw this perfect rainbow trout jump out of the water and grab the fly. And he yelled at me, pull, and I pulled, and I started reeling, and truly, within like the first five minutes, I caught a fish. And I thought, fly fishing is so easy. And he said, oh, you're ruined. It's never going to happen like that ever again. We spent this whole day together, me and this guy, his name was Dave, but we just had so much fun, and we were at the river, and we had lunch together, and we talked, and I learned about his life, and how, you know, it was just this remarkable, beautiful day. We caught so many fish. Because we just kept changing where we were on the river. We were going upstream, and then we went to a different river. It was just a perfect fishing day. Now, at the very, very end of the day, as I was you know, getting out of my waders and getting ready to put my normal clothes back on, he said, can I share something with you? I said, we just spent a whole day fishing. Of course you can share something with me. He said, you know, I do this. It's my, it's my living. This is my job. I take people fishing every day. And I don't think anyone has asked me as many questions about myself as you did today. He said, you know, usually when I take people out, they just want to fish, and they want to pretend like I'm not even there. But you made me feel like I was an actual person the whole time we were fishing. And he said, why is that? What is it about you that you felt like the whole day you had to ask me questions about myself? And I knew that I had to tell him the truth. Jesus, 
That's why. And I said, I said, well, because of Jesus. And he looked at me, he said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were a Christian. I said, how could you tell? I mean, I don't think I have a tattoo of a cross anywhere on me. I don't, I don't think I was wearing a cross necklace. He said, I knew you were a Christian. And I said, how could you have known I was a Christian? He said, well, one, your behavior. But two, we caught a lot of fish today. I said, what difference does that make? What does catching fish have to do with Jesus? He said, don't you know in the gospel? Again, remember, he's a fly fishing instructor. I'm the one in seminary. He said, haven't you read the Bible? They go fishing all the time in the gospels. They only ever catch a fish if Jesus is with them. So I knew you were a Christian because Jesus was with us at the river all day long. I didn't fall. Our scripture today is Matthew 4, verses 12 through 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have a, a new bishop in the Virginia Annual Conference. Her name is Sue Halpert Johnson. She started her Episcopal term on the 1st of January. The Episcopal office is in Richmond. So she's been working for the Virginia Conference for three weeks. She's still very new in her job. And because she's so new, the conference office did an interview with her this week. And they put it out on YouTube and they sent it to all the churches. So every church in the Virginia Annual Conference, by the way, there are 1,188 United Methodist churches in Virginia. There are more United Methodist churches in Virginia per zip code than there are post offices. So in order to get the message out to 1,188 churches, they did this interview with the bishop. It's about 30 minutes long, and they asked her all sorts of questions so that, you know, we could learn more about her. And, and among all the wonderful anecdotes and the theological tidbits that she had to offer, there was this bit at the end where the interviewer asked the bishop about the vision for the conference. What is the vision for the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. 
Scripture does say those without vision are doomed to perish. So it's a pretty good idea to have a vision, have an idea where we're going. And her answer, I think, was rather remarkable. She said, vision cannot come from the top. Vision has to come from the people. In a sense, she said, the vision for the annual conference has to come from people like you. It doesn't do us good to just do what she says. It has to come from, from us. Well, that's pretty good leadership. And then she said, however, whatever the vision of the church is, it must always answer this question. How do we introduce people to Jesus? The vision of the church must always answer this question. How do we introduce people to Jesus? John the Baptist is arrested. That's how our scripture starts today. It's easy to overlook because we want to get to the, the meat of the story. But if we overlook that, it's kind of strange. The last time we encountered John in Matthew's gospel, he was just out in the wilderness wearing camel fur, eating locusts. And now he's arrested. So why is John arrested? He's proclaiming a baptism for the repentance of sins. That doesn't sound like too much rabble-rousing. He does call the Pharisees and the Sadducees a brood of vipers. You can't really get arrested for doing that. I think he gets arrested because whenever the powers that be are called into question, they're going to do whatever it takes to stop those questions from being asked. Because John has a, a sense, a glimpse of, of things that could be. As the herald of the one to come, as the herald of Jesus, he he stands squarely between the already and the not yet. He beckons those with eyes to see that something is on the way. That Messiah is coming. And because of this, he gets arrested. And the drama of the gospel, it really begins. So John is arrested. And how does Jesus react? He withdraws. He retreats to Galilee. Now that's a bit odd. I mean, we're talking about the Son of God. Wouldn't it make more sense if he... If he called the people to arms and they stormed the gates of the prison and they, they got his, his cousin out of jail. Well, that's not what he does. It says that his response to his cousin's arrest is that he begins to preach. He begins to preach. Words are very powerful things. Very powerful things. More powerful than I think we often give them credit for. John's words were so powerful, they got him arrested. Jesus' words will be so powerful it will send him to the cross. Our words today are just as powerful because they can both build up and they can also destroy. What do we teach children? Sticks and stones can hurt my bones but names will never hurt me. That's not true. Names can really hurt. They can stick with us a lot longer than a bruise can. Anyway, Jesus, his mission and ministry in Galilee, it's, it's for a purpose. And Matthew wants us to see what that purpose is because it's fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. Land of Zebulun, land of Natalia, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Now, if that text sounds familiar to you, it's probably because we read that text every Christmas Eve. Without fail, we read that text every Christmas Eve. The people who have sat in darkness have seen a great light because the light of the world is born in Jesus. It's this great light. And now the light has arrived and he's preaching in Galilee. He's preaching, but he's also searching. He's on the look. He's looking for those who can help manifest and live into this new strange world we call the kingdom of God. I think it's very important that Jesus does not call the elites 
the nobles, those with power and wealth. He doesn't create a, a big board of draft prospects for kingdom work. Rather, he calls ordinary people, knowing that through the power of the Spirit, they can do extraordinary things. At this point in the gospel, there are no crowds waiting to see what the hope of the world can do. The Pharisees and the scribes haven't started their plot to get rid of him because this is still the very beginning of the end. And so one day, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They're casting a net into the sea, and Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they leave everything behind, and they follow Jesus. That's it. Now, Luke's gospel adds some flavor, some texture to the story with some drama out on the water. But for Matthew, the call of the first disciples is as quick as two words, follow me. Much has been made of this moment in scripture. Much, 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 much. What it means for us today as followers of Jesus, because, of course, this is the story of the first call and what those who are called are called to do. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like sometimes, life today, it feels like that U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We're on the search for something. Some of us are looking for fulfillment or purpose or belonging. Some of us are looking for a spouse or the next right spouse. Some of us are looking for the, the right job, the bigger house. What, we're always looking for something. Now, I have a friend from seminary who embodied this search so perfectly. Every few months, there was a new thing that dominated the entirety of his existence. At first, for him, it was the desire to eat in a more local and healthy manner. He became obsessed with this. He cultivated a backyard garden. He read recipe books in between his seminary books. He even interned with a local farmer in Durham so that he could uh, be the best farmer that he could possibly be. And for a while it took, until it didn't. At some point his garden was overrun by weeds, but by then he was on to the next thing. And the next thing happened to be barefoot running. Now, he listened to some podcast about how our modern shoes are bad for our posture. And so he decided right then and there that he needed to start running every day without shoes. And so he did. He adopted this running calendar based on his class schedule. He would run barefoot to the grocery store. He would run barefoot to campus. Every day he would run barefoot. And for a while it took until it didn't. You know, at some point, even in Durham, North Carolina, it gets a little cold, and it's not fun running barefoot in the middle of the winter. But at that point, he was already on to the next thing. He was convinced he had to read a book every three days. He encountered some article online about the devolution of our minds, and that if we want to reclaim the, the purpose of our society, we have to read as much as we possibly can, as quickly as we possibly can. So he did a study about how, how many words per minute he could read, and he figured out with these notifications on his phone how to stop in the middle of what he was doing to read so that no matter what, every three days he finished a book. And for a while that took, until it didn't. I could go on. He still hasn't found what he's looking for. And though curiosity is good, frankly, we would do well to have a little more curiosity in the church these days, when it comes to the kingdom, we have it backward. The Bible is not a record of our long search for God. Instead, it's the amazing count 
of the extraordinary length that God is going to find us. I think that's why the reference to Isaiah before the call of the disciples is so, is so important. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. They didn't go looking for the light. They were in the darkness. And God showed up for them. The disciples weren't looking for a teacher to follow. They weren't looking for a barefoot running regimen. They weren't looking for a spiritual guru to bring fulfillment to their lives. If they were looking for anything, it was fish. And then Jesus has the nerve to show up in their lives and take their vocation from them and flip it upside down. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. God in Christ shows up by the sea, gives the disciples something to do, gives us something to do. Now, how we respond to that call is as varied as the people God calls. So when you hear, I will make you fish for people, what comes to your mind? Often, I think, for us, we, we start to think of the word evangelism. Now, evangelism can be a very dirty word for our United Methodist ears. Possibly because evangelism tends to be very manipulative. It preys on individuals' fears. It, it does whatever it takes to get butts in pews. Some will take the, the call of evangelism to mean that it's our responsibility to save souls, to win people for Jesus, to leave from church and knock on doors until we find someone who's willing to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Some will take the call of evangelism to mean uh, that they need to stand on the street corners of life shouting at people about the end times, while others, a few blocks away, are handing out tracts with three simple steps to make sure you go up when you die and not down. On and on and on. Evangelism. Fishing for people. Now, it's the Lord's metaphor, so we have to work with it, though I have to admit, I've always been a bit fearful and uh, reticent to use this language of fishing for people, because fishing is inherently a coercive endeavor. Do you know what we do when we fish? We're trying to trick fish into eating something that isn't food so that we can then eat them. Is that what evangelism is? I'm going to go out and trick people so that I can eat them? We don't eat other people. We eat Jesus. Christianity is weird. Fishing for Jesus. I don't know. Maybe it's not the best metaphor for evangelism except for the fact that when you go fishing, you have to go where the fish are. Therefore, perhaps it's less that we're called to fish for Jesus and more that we're called to wade for Jesus. Now, the earliest Christians, they weren't converted to Christianity because they were on the look for something or because they were convinced or duped by the disciples. The earliest Christians were encountered by the living God who waded into their lives and they couldn't help but follow. Waiting, when you go fishing, waiting in the muck and mire of a stream to catch one fish is a messy and frustrating endeavor. It requires patience and focus and prayer. The same is true when you wade into somebody else's mess. If you wade into someone else's mess, it's going to make your life messy too. But that's exactly what God did and God does for us. Every one of us here today is here today because somehow God showed up in our lives. God waded into our lives. And more often than not, God shows up through somebody else. There's a, a difference, a huge difference between trying to convince someone of the gospel 
and living according to the gospel. Because living according to the gospel, it puts us in relationships with people we might otherwise ignore. And because God has a sense of humor, it usually results in someone seeing how we live and they say, why are you the way you are? Why are you the way you are? And the answer for us, of course, is Jesus. Notably, the word evangelism, it doesn't mean knocking on doors or frightening people into salvation. Evangelism means bearing the good news. That's it. It means bearing the good news. And after Jesus called those first disciples in Galilee, Scripture says he went about proclaiming the good news. He didn't try to coerce people. He didn't try to frighten people. He didn't even try to convince people. He just preached the good news. So hear the good news. You are loved by God. I'm not talking to you, Siri. You're loved by God, too, even though you're a machine. The good news is this. You are loved by God. There is a place for you in God's church. There is nothing you can do in this life, nothing you do or leave undone that can ever separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. You are loved by God. That is the good news. That is what we are called to tell other people, that they are loved. Introducing people to Jesus is at the heart of what it means to follow. We've been given something to do. Now, how we introduce people to Jesus is actually really easy. We just have to act like Jesus. Which, of course, is easier said than done. How we introduce people to Jesus is just, you just act like Jesus. It's the why we introduce people to Jesus that I think we don't ask ourselves. Of course, we do it because Jesus tells us to. I'm making you fishers of people. Go, therefore, and baptize nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's good if we do something because Jesus tells us to. But also because if you're here, your life has been changed by God. Your life has been changed by God. My life has been changed by God. My life is fundamentally better because of the church's relentless willingness to wade into the muck and mire of my life, reminding me of the good news day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, when everything else in my life might sound like bad news. The church, through people like you, have, has waded into my life. And been present for me when I needed it most. I am whom I am because God and the church has waded into my life. Following the Lord will put us in places and with people that we would never pick on our own. Living according to the gospel will make us appear strange to those who have, had, who have not heard it. Some will see us and they will wonder what in the world has happened to us. And of course, it's not a what that has happened to us. It's a who. And his name is Jesus. Come, the water is fine. Let's wade for Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.